Welcome back to Kindly Gifted. I'm your host, Kate Tarantiba, and I can't wait to unwrap the world of creativity with you. Each week, I'm hashtag gifting you two episodes with ways you can become fluent in the business of creativity and learn the best-kept industry secrets to creating content worth remembering. Sound good? All right, let's dive into it. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to Kindly Gifted Podcast. Today, we're doing something really exciting. I have a guest because you guys wanted more guest episodes, so we're bringing more guests And today, I actually have a really dear friend of mine, Hannah. She is a starting content creator, an influencer, and I thought it would be great instead of having me assume what questions you guys have and things that you want to know to actually bring creators and influencers on. And we have like a Q&A discussion session covering just questions that you have about the industry. So I'll put a link, a calendar link in the description so that you can book a 30 minute slot with me, ask me all your questions. And the only catch is that it ends up being turned into a podcast episode. So without further ado, Hannah. So I started off, I guess, in this whole world, Instagram world, just like, just for shits and giggles. Like, like all of us do, just like post photos. Like, ooh, I ate something good today. Ooh, I look kind of cute today. Let me post that. And then I guess I started gaining more traction as I got into modeling. Mm. That's when I would start posting very nice, well thought out, edited photos. And I just kind of fell into that. And like my friends are all already in the industry, photographers, marketers, everything. They're like, hey, like, would you be down to do this? Would you be down to this? And I just started posting like fun stuff. And that's when brands actually started reaching out to me. But me doing it for shits and giggles and not... Knowing my worth at the time, I was just like, yeah, I'll do everything. I'll do semi-free stuff. I'll do it. Yeah, Hannah frequently texts me about questions she has or collaborations she's working on. We were just talking, which is how this episode idea came about. She was asking me about a collaboration that she was working on, things about your worth and your rates and negotiating and all of that. And I was like, why don't we answer some questions on an episode? I think it'd be super fun. But yeah, you have an Instagram, you have a TikTok. Oh my God. Your TikTok has been like (laughs) popping. Not anymore. Okay. When, okay. Pandemic, like start a pandemic. Yeah. You did pandemic post. So much time, a lot of creative juices to go nowhere except for TikTok. So I was like, let me just put everything into this. Or shits and giggles, as always. And then it started getting big. And then other brands were like, would you show our thing on your thing? And blah, blah, blah. And I was like, oh, I guess I guess I have something that brands want. Right. Cool. Let me see what I can do with this. But I never, I guess, fully monetized or took advantage of those opportunities. I was just like, oh, my God. I'm like so humbled that I have this big company that's reaching out to me. I feel like that's a feeling that a lot of influencers have where they feel super starstruck that a brand, especially a brand that they really like, reaches out and wants to partner up. So TikToks are blowing up and I was like, actually, like, I'm not a huge fan of doing all this stuff on TikTok. Like, I also have a 
like an okay Instagram. Let's work together. Right. I know you have questions. I'm literally looking at like <laughs> a note sheet with questions on it. I love that. Let's dive in and get some of these answered. My brain is like a broken train track. Like it just goes everywhere. So I need something to keep me on track. The first thing is whitelisting. I know we kind of talked about it already, but just like there's so the more I talk to you, the more I'm just like, there's so much influencer marketing vernacular that just goes over my head that I don't even pay attention to at all. Cause I'm just like, oh, like it's not important. I'll just figure it out later. But I did not know how much went into whitelisting and what goes behind it and how many I guess brands that I have worked for have used that word. So whitelisting, there's a lot of great articles about what it is, yeah. but just basically boiled down to the core is when you see an ad on Instagram, usually on Instagram stories or on TikTok when you're scrolling and it looks like it's an ad coming from a creator. And in reality, it's not coming from the creator at all. It's coming from the brand that they're advertising. So the brand is basically like, pulling in certain data from your account so that they can make it look as if you are the one advertising. The point of that is it converts a lot better because people think that it's from the creator and so they're more likely to stay and pay attention. Like other than, I guess, the whitelisting term, what other words have I just been missing out? But I know that's like such a far stretch because I'm sure- Other words that I would say just generally when you look at a contract to look out for are things, of course, like usage rights, mm -hmm. There will be the occasional like ownership rights or we own all the rights to your content without royalties, which essentially means we want ownership rights without having to pay for it because transfer of ownership rights are way more expensive than usage rights. Exclusivity, which essentially means that for an X period of time, you can't work with competitors of the brand. So that's something, of course, whitelisting, any types of like language to make it seem as if they're clearly hiring because you to be a content creator because you fit into a certain diversity model that's especially relevant towards black history month or asian heritage pacific islander but other than that with contracts if there's something that confuses you to just literally copy and paste it into google or if you have a manager obviously you'll have a manager reviewing that contract if you're doing this on your own then copy and pasting certain terms that maybe you don't understand because these contracts are filled with so much legal jargon in addition to just advertising and influencer marketing terms. If anything that you have a question about, just Google it or ask the brand because they technically should be able to clarify these things for you. And I feel like a lot of times that has come up and it's like, what does this mean? And I'm too afraid to ask the brand, like, what does this mean? Because I don't want to come off as incompetent. Like, oh, she doesn't know what any of this means. We can take advantage of it. So I'm just like, I yeah. just want to kind of flex your smarts and not show the company that you have so many questions. But at the same time, I was like, they should know. They should be able to. They should be able to answer. It's also a really great idea to ask questions because it, it will foreshadow the relationship that you have working together. If they are the types of people to be very condescending and answering your questions, maybe you don't want to work with them again. And that's kind of like your red flag. But I think if you are afraid to ask questions, a great thing to remember is like, what is the worst thing that they could do is they will just either ghost you or they won't answer your question, which is already really shady. And then it's actually a good thing is then it gives you the insight of like, 
mm, I don't like that behavior and therefore I don't want to work with a brand like that. Like a relationship and you go on a date and it's like red flags, you're like, haha. Exactly. If something gives you the ick in, in a friend situation or a relationship situation, it, it applies the same way to working with brands. That's a really great way to think of it. It's like if this were a human relationship or a human interaction, like an in-person interaction, how would you feel about that? Oh, that influencer checklist or the, the pricing. Yeah. Pricing is always like one of my biggest questions because so many brands that approach me already have a set price. Yes. And a contract ready for me. Yeah. Here's X amount of dollars if you make this video, this photo. I'm like, oh yeah, sure. I'm not like super deeply in the influencer content creation. Like that's not my livelihood. That's not sure. fun thing that if it happens and I'm like, great, let's do it. I would love to have extra pocket cash. Right. So hard to calculate what I'm supposed to ask of the company. Even with this current collaboration, it looks good at first. Then I saw your checklist that you sent me. I think there's a really, really great, re this is not my personal resource that I created. This is a resource I got from somebody who's very like experienced specifically in the beginner influencer target. Her name is Lisette Calviero and she has a influencer rate checklist that I think is really great. It's free. You can download it by just subscribing to her email list. And it has every single little category that you should consider when creating your own rate for something and that you can actually also calculate given the terms that a brand gave you in the contract. Just something Hannah and I were talking about aside from this is she sent me their terms and the contract that this brand had. And then I was just like, why don't you plug in what you know and the values that you have into this checklist and see if you come up with a number that's more or less than what they gave you. I think pricing is such a thing that it's just so murky and it's so individual. There's a lot of stigma that everybody's gatekeeping their rates. I don't think people are really, I mean, obviously, yes, there are people gatekeeping, but I don't think that that's mainly the reason why it's such like a confusing issue. It's just that everybody is so different that you can't really apply the pricing standards that you have to somebody else because they're just going to be different, you know? Yeah, I guess that's what makes it so hard because when I do look up what's an appropriate price for this, it's always like, oh, here are my prices. I don't know about you kind of thing. Right. And which like is totally understandable because everyone is different, especially like what they think their worth is, how much work they put into it, how important it is to them what this project is and everything. Yeah. So I did fill it out. Most of it I did fill out, but there are some boxes that did fill out because I was like, I don't even know if this applies. Yeah, and their budget for this collaboration that we're talking about was $300, I believe. And it was through a third-party site where you also had to submit the content and you had to check off the terms and conditions, basically giving away all ownership rights for the brand to use their content your content as they pleased online and offline right yeah i didn't even think about that until kate <laughs> pointed out to me because i was like oh you're right the usage rights says like they can use it on anything the email that we were talking back and forth with on stated that it was just going to be on their socials but then when i got to the actual licensing and everything they're like oh all content, like commercial, billboard. Yeah, they could put it in the store, on the billboards, a website, social, email, pretty literally anything you could imagine. They basically are saying that they can use that content mm -hmm. f 
for anything. And I think that that's a huge problem. Regardless of what you discussed in an email, these are obviously the final terms that you would have to submit to. So what did you, what rate did you come up with ultimately in the end? In the end, it's such a random number, 722. I would round it up maybe to 730 or even 750. The budget was 300. You ended up with 722, which, yeah, I mean, this is already significantly more. I always find it to be a problem when people give like a fixed budget. We have $300 and that's it. And it's like, you can't, because these are such individual minds that you're working with and individual communities and everybody's engagement and conversion metrics are different. Their stories are different that you can't just say that that's it. Just a blanket rate of $300. It just doesn't work like that way. So one of the boxes I did check was, um, was it oh. exclusivity? Mm-mm. Did they have an exclusivity? They didn't. Oh, okay. I put NA on, are there any additional offline tasks involved? Add a premium for things like attending an event, picking up or purchasing product yourself. This would be if they were to say, hey, we want you to plug this product on social, but we also have a launch event coming up and we want you to come. Sometimes you can charge for that. Not every influencer feels like they can or they should. It just really depends. But especially if you're somebody with a very strong community or a big community, or you would be essential to this collaboration. For example, it was a Asian history month event. You would be essential to attending that event. So you would be able to charge for attending because you're needed there more than a white person, for example, right? So th things like that. Or if a brand says, oh, we want you to post, but we also want you to go and buy the product, then that would be also something that they would have to reimburse you for. Whoever does use this influencer rate checklist could change just all depending on- the Th This is what I'm saying is that the $300, <laughs> you can't just put a blanket fee because of what you just found out where it's like, okay, well, I have a base rate that's different from another creator, number one. And the base rate, which we talked about, will change whether you are being positioned as an influencer, a content creator, or both. And then, you know, the props that you're using to create this are going to be different than somebody else's because your idea is different than somebody else's. Whether you are asked to attend an event versus somebody who's not asked to attend an event, that's going to differ. So there's just so many things that given being given a flat rate is like no 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 no. first of all everything's negotiable and second of all i am not the same as every other creator participating in this so the rates can't be all the same i think that's also like good reminder to myself i love hearing you say it because it reminds me of, yeah everything is negotiable i don't know why i'm so like I just accept everything. She's like, yeah, it's fine. Like, I'll just, I'll Even you responding and being like, I don't want to participate in this, that is a negotiation. That is you expressing your opinion, and that's literally what a negotiation is. It's a conversation. It's not a one-way street. So them coming to you and being like, these are all the things we expect. This is the budget that we have, and expecting you to just be like, sure, that's not a negotiation. That's not even a conversation that's them laying your expectations on you without allowing you to speak up for yourself or participate in that dialogue. That makes me wonder like how many other influencer content creators, especially people who are just like starting off, I wonder like how many times this has happened to them because I'm sure I'm not the only one that's like, oh, no, that's cool. Yeah, sure. It happens all the time. I remember when I was a content creator, I had the same thing. Brands that I loved would come to me and it would be, this is our budget. I would be like, oh my God, everybody starts at that. 
spot where you're just so excited to be here. You're just really stoked that you're making some sort of money. And then after a while, you're like, mm, yeah, I definitely fucked up by accepting something that I... It's just all a learning experience. So don't be hard on yourself for making that choice to accept something that then you learned later you shouldn't have. Because if you didn't accept it, then you wouldn't have learned later. This checklist give me a good grounds to start off. I always ask, I'm pretty sure this is a question I've asked you before. How do I know how much to charge? It's like, I'm not, I don't have that many followers. Like sure, I have more than the average person walking down the street. But just like, I feel like in this kind of field, I'm definitely like micro of the micro. <laughs> Which is why I personally don't subscribe to the model of your followers are what is the most appealing part to a brand. There's this story, which I'm sure you've heard of, an influencer with 2 million followers launching a t-shirt brand and only selling 36 t-shirts. How fucking embarrassing. You have 2 million followers, but you could not convert them into customers. You couldn't even convert like 10% into customers. That is the problem with, with concentrating so much both on the brand side and on the influencer side on follower count is that that doesn't guarantee a conversion of whatever that is, whether that's you bringing, you know, your followers to a brand's account and feed them following the brand or website traffic or email signups or whatever, you know, KPI, the uh, key performance indicator the brand gave to you that their goal is for this campaign. Having a ton of followers does not at all guarantee that you will be successful in reaching whatever goal it is that they have given. So many times I don't even acknowledge certain classes. I'm like, oh, I'm definitely shooting weight. I feel like you said this, like girl bossing too close to, to the, the sun. sun. Yeah. Why would this brand even reach out to me in the first place? It's like, I only have this many followers. But yeah, that's so true. Cause there are like other micro influencers that I follow that don't have that many followers, but they're very thoughtful in what they market. And they're thoughtful of building a story. And maybe people like them for their personality or their jokes or their expertise or their, you know, likeness or their lifestyle. And so being able to figure out why people follow you and creating content around mm -hmm. those things makes you a very powerful storyteller, which is what ultimately is going to make you convert for the brand, not your following. There are people with like 4,000 followers. I remember when I started, I had like 4,000 followers when I was in like my peak influencer girly era. And I was making as much as some of my peers who had 100,000 followers. So it was completely, it completely had nothing to do with follower account. It was just like, what can you bring to the table and do we like what you're offering? Mm -hmm. I think that's always just something I just have to remember. Like, no, they obviously came to you for a reason. Correct. So you do have some leeway and pull on your end. I feel like I need to get that tattooed like somewhere or write that on my mirror. Like you have sticky notes on your mirror. The whiteboard in your The shower. white, the white. Oh my God, not the fucking whiteboard. <laughs> There, it's not a whiteboard. I need to point that out. It's literally waterproof notepad, lifesaver, lifesaver. Yeah. In her shower. In my shower. Mind your business. Love it. Mind your fucking business. We need to link that into. We need to link that. I will link the checklist. I'll link the 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 little waterproof notepad if you have thoughts, shower awesome. thoughts. It's, that's where you have your best ideas. Period. Period. <laughs> Genius. <laughs> okay. Oh, smaller businesses. 
Okay. So what if it's like a very like small? I I don't know if mom and pop is a right word to use. Super small business. This isn't. It's not Sephora. It's a a small beauty brand that you found on TikTok. It's like one girl making lip glosses in her room. Yeah. It's is it more of like you maybe just doing because you just are so behind her product and love it. That should be the policy for every brand campaign that you choose to accept with a small business it's always tricky but i think the key thing to remember is that this is a relationship building industry and it's a relationship building business how much do you want to have a relationship with this person and their business that might mean that because of their tighter budget you may have to sacrifice a little bit more on your end they might have to sacrifice on theirs for the type of content that you're expecting but with a small business how much do you want to foster and build this relationship it's like Marie Kondo does it bring you joy to look at this product to think about it being integrated in your life to think about creating a for lack of a better term again relationship with this brand is that something that you are gonna willing to invest your time and energy into or is that maybe not something that you're that interested in and therefore you want to either go find a middle tier size business or another small business that may be more interesting to your to, to your mission and aligns. The nice thing about working with small businesses is that there are many people that decline. And so if there is a small business that you feel very aligned working with for whatever reason, there's a big likelihood that further down the road, you may be able to negotiate things like being the face of their brand, being the star of a campaign. If they get picked up by a larger retailer, being like in the gondola in the store, the display in the store. Um, you know, there are certain other things that you can kind of negotiate that may take longer to get to especially if you're a smaller influencer. So for example, I'm gonna use like a real life example from something I experienced when I was a content creator. I worked with Winky Lux and it was a really great experience. I did not know that they were as small as they were. I thought they were a very huge brand based on social media following. And this was in like 2019, early 2019 for reference, um, or 2018, late 20, no, it was 2019. So. Um, I basically was the face of their Atlanta, they brought an Atlanta pop-up and I was like the lead influencer. Yeah. And so the only reason that that happened is because I just built a relationship with their brand marketing director at the time. They were gifting product and we were talking back and forth. And then I wasn't really like getting anything out of it. I wasn't being paid. I was just being gifted stuff. And then after a while they were like, Hey, we're coming to Atlanta we'd love for you to be like the lead influencer of the Atlanta pop-up, be at the events, meet people. I don't think I would have gotten that opportunity if I was working with a really large brand, just because larger brands are more likely to work with larger creators on that type of <clears throat> scale. It's more taking account into account that you will be sacrificing a lot more, maybe financially, but there's a big likelihood that you may be able to build such a great relationship with them that you may be the first to be considered for a larger opportunity. So it's really definitely like a case by case. Exactly. Yeah. And especially like the thing is, I also really love creators that are hybrids and they can bring other skills to the table besides just 
being a content creator, like for example, you're a model, right? So if they're like, oh, maybe we can't pay a content creator, but we need a model for the shoot, you are able to then also be that person that they can be like, oh, well, she does that too. That's cool. Maybe we can consider her for when we're doing like a big e-com shoot or a campaign shoot or something like that because you did build that relationship with the brand. You're the first to be considered for something like that. I feel like, yeah, from a model standpoint, especially that's why so many times, especially if it's like accessory brand or clothing, hats, just anything like that. Yeah. Like off the top of my head, I'm always just like, oh, yes, I would love to get this free hat because I know I could take a bomb photo in it for you. And in me doing that, I don't even think about getting compensations. Maybe because I'm in their galaxy now and I'm in their heads that they will think of me later if they do have an e-commerce shoot or some kind of photo shoot. Building relationships is like more than just also, which you already know, is more than just like getting a product and taking a picture and then hoping that one day they'll ask you to do something. It's also keeping up with them, truly fostering that relationship with them and congratulate them on their wins be involved in that conversation yeah and i think that's why like i brought up the hat thing because i did have a little gifted thing from have you heard of lack of color mm-hmm. yeah so they said oh he saw that instagram post yeah. it was so cute they commented too which was nice mm-hmm. so i've actually I, I don't know if i would say i have a relationship with them but they've sent me hats in the past and i don't know if they forgot done it before because whoever was working there before who was sending you stuff maybe left or is that another company and they have somebody new that you're working with now so that's good yeah very thankful but for me to like remind them that i still exist i always like post them in the stories like hey i'm still wearing it just to remind them like hey don't forget me but i think next time i will definitely put the skills and advice that you've given me (laughs) to that i never asked anything from them i just accepted whatever gifts they wanted to give if you think that They've given you a lot of gifts. Okay, we can take this relationship to the next level, like second base. Then asking them and reaching out, hey, I know we've had a gifting relationship in the past. I'd love to know what you guys are working on or any upcoming like launches or campaigns and see how I can participate or fit in to what you're doing. That's actually one of my questions. <laughs> Just like the after the fact. Like Let's say I did already accept all of these gifts from a brand, have been wearing it, have maybe even posted already on my stories about it. Like how do I approach a brand like, hey, I know we've had this gifting relationship in the past, but what do we think about moving forward? Because I could actually bring this to the table for you. Like, how do you even approach that? So this is going to be like the most Virgo answer in the whole world, <laughs> but provide receipts. Provide receipts that you have, in fact, collaborated with them. Because like I said before, They may have new team members since the last time you worked with them. So they might, and also like, do not expect a brand to ever, you know, keep up with what you're doing at all times. That's just not how it works, unfortunately. I think that it should go both ways. However, I do think that influencers are expected to keep up with brands a lot more than brands are with influencers. Provide links to things that you've created for them. Some people like the approach of, sending them photos or videos that you haven't posted yet and being like, hey, I made this. Do you want to pay me for it? There's a different way to say it, but I have all this content that I created for you guys. My page is not all about this, but I'd love to, instead of just having this sit in my hard drive, like I'd love to give it to you 
name your price. That's one way that some people may suggest initiating that conversation. I would just say put the feelers out there and just be like, hey, I'm really grateful for all the things that you gave me. Here are the receipts with links to content that I've created with the gifts that you sent me. I'd love to know if you would be open to having a conversation about working together in a deeper way. The reason why I suggest asking them if they would be open as opposed to are you interested in doing this is because you can very easily say no to are you interested. However, the psychology behind asking would you be open to something if a person is very quick to say no because we as people care so much about what other people think we're we don't want to be quick to say no to that question because we're like oh i don't want to look like i'm close-minded there there's a big likelihood that they will say yes even if they maybe don't have something going on right now or they're not like entirely 100% on board, they may still say, yeah, we'd be open to talking about it. Let's, you know, here's the things that we have going on. Maybe we're booked with influencers. Maybe we don't have budget, but we would be happy to consider you in the future for something. Is something that they could say to that if they're not necessarily interested right now, mm-hmm. but they still responded because they don't want to look mm-hmm. like they're close-minded. Okay. So you're kind of, yeah, it's all about the language of negotiation is all about being very strategic, but at the same time, staying true to the personality that you have so that you're not veering from how you would say things. But something as simple as like, would you be open to that? Would you be open to having a conversation? I don't remember the last time somebody answered no to that question. Mm-hmm. Even if ultimately the result that you get is not the result that you want, mm-hmm. you still had a conversation. And a conversation is important in the relationship building process. So I always consider it a win. Oh, okay. That's so important to hear. Like, not to use the word. Are you interested? Are you open to it? Yeah, okay. Same thing with, like, if you're asking for a rate or (laughs) if you're asking for payment for something. There's nothing more that irks me than influencers feeling entitled and are like, oh, I deserve this or I don't think that's the right payment. And it's like, why don't you think that's the right payment? And when somebody answers, well, I... I just think that a more fair value is this. It tells me that they have considered certain research components into looking up a rate that is fair. If you actually didn't and you're like, this is what I think I deserve, that's not a good pricing strategy. I would recommend using the checklist that we talked about earlier, where you actually are calculating a price, not just like saying one off the top of your head. But when you calculate something, you feel confident that like, okay, if I calculated this thing and this feels like something that, you know, I, that is fair to me, it's very easy to just be like, I think a fair value is $700 versus 300 based on the terms that you've expressed and the research that I've done on the market value for something like this. So it's just like little words like that in negotiation that can take something from a no to a maybe or from a no to a yes. Just to open up a conversation instead of giving like a yes or no. Yeah, do not expect that you will get what you want, but you will get an in to the to the conversation. You will be put in the room where you can now discuss a fair rate and come to terms with something. Whereas if you come into the conversation with entitlement, you will not be in the room to even have a discussion and you won't be considered for entry into the room moving forward. I guess my last question, 
do you need a media kit? Like, how important is that? Because especially, I feel like if you are actually an influencer and that is your job, then yes, it's like having a resume for a corporate person. Just like, it makes sense. What if you are just doing it like for fun and this is not something you are seeking out all the time? Is a media kit important? Because I feel like I hear a media kit all the time, everywhere. Let's talk about what a media kit is, which might answer your question. A media kit is a compilation of, and again, just like pricing, everybody has different approaches to how they do it. I, being a creative in the ad industry, think that it really needs to be like, it needs to be visually heavy. It needs to be like a visual portfolio. I want to see screenshots of examples of things you've done that you consider successful, you consider your best work. And in that PDF, it better link out to the content because I want to see it. Aside from content examples, it should also include your metrics. And this is beyond just a follower count. What is your engagement rate? What is your average view rate for videos? Or if there's notable accomplishments, for example, if you posted a video talking about a brand that you like, and then the brand tells you that 200 people came from your video and bought this product, that's a huge accomplishment that you should be putting in a media kit. So I think that it's, it's a resume, yes, but it needs to be a balance between analytics and like who you are as a person, content examples, not just things you've done, but specifically things you're proud of. If you were asked to talk about them, you could for hours about your process or about the, the experience. For me personally, the story behind who the person is that I'm looking at is so much more important than how many followers they have, how many views they have. I wanna know that if I were to work with you, you could make this a successful collaboration because this is a brand that makes sense for you to work with. And B, you create stories through your content that people are fascinated by and they keep returning for, for whatever, like you have an engaged community basically. Being able to build a community is more important than being able to build 2 million people following you. 2 million people following you is not a community but you know, 150,000 engaged people that are just enthralled by the things going on in your life and mm -hmm. the things that you have to share or say, that's so much more important. And so it's being able to contribute value not only to your community, but then also how that value then converts to the brand's community that you will be working with essentially. Because your role as a creator, and this is something I say on this podcast a lot, is that you are the mutual friend. Like you mentioned earlier to me that it's it's like in person. Yeah, so put yourself at a party. You are there, your followers are there, and the brand is there. And you, you are the only one that knows the brand and your followers. Mm -hmm. And you think they'd be a great fit for each other. How would you introduce those two if they were two individuals that you think would be great friends? You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So your media kit is important and it reflects what you can do as a creator and who you are. But I would really focus on honing in those skills of, aside from all the things, the cool shit that I've done, here's why I can create a relationship between my audience and your brand. A media kit just shows that you've successfully done it before, essentially. If you're like a beginner influencer and you're struggling to build a media kit, yeah. then maybe you need to work on going back to your profile and seeing, okay, like what are my stats? What is my engagement rate? 
who who are the people that are following me demographics and that's what people call the target audience and then content examples that maybe you're currently really proud of this can be a mix of things that you've done for yourself and also ads that you've done for brands it's like a modeling portfolio you started from Uh, day one (laughs) at some point right so think about how you built up your modeling portfolio and then take certain insights and nuggets from that and transfer it to how you would build up your influencer portfolio or content creator, depending on how you want to position yourself. Mm-hmm. I think for a content creator, I would say that you maybe don't need a media, media kit to answer your question because I think it's more important to have like a portfolio and a portfolio is your account. These are the yeah. things that you can do for yourself, but also for brands I think that's why I've never created a media kit for myself. So I'm like, my Instagram, like, this is what I've done. Here you go. Exactly. And I think for somebody who's a model, yeah. that's a lot easier because you're like, this already is my portfolio for people that want to hire me for things. Yeah. Honestly, I think that's my biggest question. I'm sure there's like a thousand more. Oh my gosh, we'll make more episodes. <laughs> I'm so thankful that you came on. I'm just like, I hope that it will help other people listening to this. Yeah, because it's coming from a creator and not from what I think that people would want to know. So I think that's so powerful. Thanks for tuning in to Kindly Gifted. To support the podcast, please leave a review, share with your friends, and don't forget to subscribe. Make sure to follow me on Instagram and TikTok at KateMob for more creative secrets. And don't forget to say hey! See you on the next episode of Kindly Gifted.